Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome into Season 4, Episode 8 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, we got a six-game flight, a six-pack, if you will, so let's get into it. The Canucks hosted the Nashville Predators and came away with a 4-3 loss in the shootout. Quinn Hughes had two assists. The Canucks beat the Senators in Ottawa to kick off the road trip with a 6-4 victory. Bo Horvat with a couple of goals. Petey and Garland with a couple of points as well. The Canucks continued east to play the Montreal Canadiens and ended up losing 5-2. Your goal scorers were Nils Hoglander and Luke Shen. The Canucks lost to the Leafs. 3-2. The Canucks then went to Boston for a matinee game and ended up losing 5-2 to the Bruins. Sheldon Dries and JT Miller with the two Canuck goals. The Canucks held on to beat the Buffalo Sabres. They had three multi-goal leads in this game and they didn't blow any of them. Bo Horvat with a goal and two assists. Petey with a goal and an assist. The Canucks held on for the w and spencer martin in net for that one again as well doug i think uh you know i got the two wins out of the six games but i also had the leafs loss in there but you got all losses there yeah i mean i guess i got the loser point uh, with the shootout loss to nashville but yeah you definitely got the the better end of the game flight than i did this week well i except for the leafs in there that was that was a painful painful game overall i just did not look very good um what's shaking doug how's things oh i'm actually in san francisco at the moment so if my audio quality isn't up to the usual standards i do apologize but yeah i'm in san francisco uh for work at the moment and one of the reasons why we weren't able to drop an episode last week ain't that the truth yeah we've uh we had to bump back we don't normally wait for six games uh to do an episode but just kind of kind of the way things fell yeah, I'm a little disappointed. I mean, just the way it works out, but uh, I'm actually flying back the day before American Thanksgiving, which I've, I've done American Thanksgiving in the U.S. a couple of times. I have some friends in Portland in, that are originally from Wisconsin, so they're big Green Bay Packer fans. So we'll go down and just literally, you know, cook a big meal in the morning, watch football, obviously day drink. And yeah, so I'm a little disappointed that I won't be here for American Thanksgiving, but I am looking forward to getting home to the mountains in Vancouver. Yeah. American Thanksgiving. Always, always a good time. I was hoping to take the day off, but uh, not so sure. Yeah. I don't think I will either. I believe we have uh, first aid training when I get back. So I don't think I'll be able to get it off. Uh, What about you, Pete? How's your week been going? That's been pretty cruisy. It's funny that you're in San Fran, but it's been like uh, foggy's all hell downtown. So it's been for some kind of nice, uh, spooky bike rides to work in the morning which i kind of like to be honest i uh, put the cole schmenko on tap the day after he was a healthy scratch i really screwed that one up um speaking <laughs> of screw-ups i screwed up uh, a few things uh, on the last episode that i just wanted to uh get out right away um i believe i called last episode season four episode six which would have made it the same as the episode before that um i was looking at my notes and i don't know how i managed to do that 
Last episode was season four, episode seven, not six. So I screwed that up. And uh, I also screwed up us not talking about the music from the outro track. I somehow missed that on my notes. Uh, there were many other screw-ups. And as you know, I've already uh, screwed up a couple times this episode and had to edit a few things. But those were the two biggest ones. So, Doug, before I forget again, let's go back to the first season four, episode six that you edited and let's talk about the outro track from that one. So, yeah, I used Beck's Hot Wax from the Odelay record, classic record from the 90s, classic song from Beck. Um, we've used Beck before, actually. I think the playlist, as we've built it, you know, it's it's kind of hard not to double up on some artists and bands over the, you know, 124, five, six episodes we've done this. Um, but, yeah, Hot Wax by Beck, Beck. It's one of my favorite albums off that Odelay record. I don't think it was a single um but just a great great song and i mean beck i think a lot of people always thought he was a one-hit wonder with the song loser i couldn't be farther from the truth uh, if you haven't actually done a deep dive into beck check out his catalog the guy is great his newer records the last couple he's released i haven't been as big of a fan of but up until guero you know beck was releasing solid record after solid record Odelay, I remember when that came out, I had the Mellow Gold CD before that, that Loser is on. That was kind of, it did, that album I never really got into besides Loser. Uh, but when Odelay came out, like it was everywhere. It was huge. And there was a whole bunch of singles. Uh, Hot Wax wasn't one of the single. I think Devil's Haircut was and uh, New Pollution and uh, Where It's At. And there's there's a whole bunch. It was, a, it was an incredible album. And, um, and he mentioned Guero. That's probably my favorite Beck album. And I know we have a track from Guero on the playlist as well we used i believe you did that one as well i believe you put a back uh track on earlier for one of our episodes i did uh it wasn't actually from guero though it was from uh nicotine uh the nicotine album uh forget what the cigarettes and nicotine i believe is the album it wasn't uh, from guero oh well then maybe uh maybe i'll one of these days chuck a guero track on there because there's uh there's some goodies. So for the second season four, episode six, which is really episode seven, that was me. And I went with a classic for no other reason because it was in my head. And I went with one of my all time favorite hip hop groups, Digital Underground. And instead of doing the Humpty Dance, which anyone who knows me thought that would probably be my go to one. I did the other single from there, the other big single. I went uh, with uh, Do What You Like, which is a fantastically fun track, uh, all nine minutes of it when it does the fade out and comes back in uh, as well. Also fantastic. And another fun thing, Digital Underground, a lot of times I say it to people and they're like, oh, that was Tupac's old band. And while it's true that Tupac rapped on Digital Underground before he did anything solo, he only rapped on like one track. So it's kind of like with people saying Nos was a part of main source. It's like, he wasn't a part of main source. That's just the first time he recorded and absolutely slayed it. Uh, so anyways, digital underground from the album, sex packets, which is an incredible album, just tons of great samples, uh, on there. And I know there's uh, we've used some tracks in the past, like funkadelic. We've got a funkadelic track, uh, in our outro playlist, which is heavily sampled on there. Jimi Hendrix is heavily sampled on there. There's all sorts of fantastic stuff. So digital underground, check it out. Yeah, I actually picked up that record not too long ago. It was a repress, but it's on like yep. new marble vinyl. Uh, really, really nice. And Shock G uh, passed away, uh, I think it was two years ago now or a year and a half ago. But amazing band, Digital Underground. I don't know if they get as much of respect as they deserve uh, today. Most people, like you said, only know them for the Humpty Dance, which obviously was a huge track at the time. But they're, uh, that album, Sex Packs, is incredible 
front to back, just an yeah. amazing hip hop record from the nineties. Yeah. It's a start to finish. My, my copy is not blue. That's pretty cool. Mine's a normal black pressing, but it is a, a repressing uh, as well uh, that I found one day digging down at beat street. All right. We're caught up on the music. I'm going to edit this one as well. So uh, I'll be sure to add another funky jam onto our playlist. Um, Speaking of a few other things, actually, we should tell people where they can find us. Uh, we are still on Twitter these days. Uh, it hasn't absolutely exploded yet, but for now, we're still Twitter is the best place to find us. I'm at Pete underscore gas and the podcast is at Canuck speak. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug then and check out the playlist that Pete and I were just talking about. It's the Canuck speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. Uh, we add it a song to at the end of every episode to the playlist and another one will be added at the end of this episode. All right. Coming up on this episode, uh, we have another segment from Dan Mackles, uh, Dan's feelings. So we got that coming up. Uh, we got a whole lot of Canucks chatter before we get into the free pour at the end of it. But before we get into all of that uh, with, with Dan and uh, the Canucks and, and the current team and all of that, um, let's talk about some some good stuff uh, that happened this week, actually in Toronto, uh, not not the game that we played, but we saw two lifelong Canucks and another player who's probably going to be most remembered for his time as a Canuck all go into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Daniel Sedin, Henrik Sedin, Roberto Luongo. Uh, Doug, did you catch the speeches at all? Uh, I didn't, unfortunately, uh, in San Francisco, there's there's not too many places that are going to be showing the Hockey Hall of Fame induction. I did see some of the speeches on Twitter, though. Well, so that's I what I that's what I mean. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. watch it uh, either. But, uh, you know, there are things like YouTube uh, you, you can find. Yeah. You can find it on there. YouTube. What What is this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what is this website you speak of? <laughs> um, I did. I did see parts of Daniel Henrik's uh, speech, and then I was able to see all of the Wongos. I thought it was great. Like Daniel and Henrik, you can tell they actually have a really great sense of humor and anyone who's ever played with them say how funny they actually are. Obviously they, you know, consummate leaders led by example on and off the ice, their conditioning, just the role models they were to the community, but you know, the back and forth they have with each other. And I guess I remember because you and I were at the game with riot survivor for the BXA uh, retirement ceremony we were wondering at the time it's like it's really weird that yet that uh henrik's not here it's just daniel and then daniel during his speech had said he had just kind of gotten over covid so i'm guessing that's why he wasn't at the ceremony uh, but it was funny he made a little quip saying you know just like the coaches always said henrik at 70 percent is better than daniel at 100 percent, which i thought was really really funny um and yeah i mean it's just such a celebration of that era of canucks and, you know, obviously, you know, we saw that playoff run and we saw, you know, Daniel and Henrik take over the league for two years, you know, a Hart Trophy, uh, two Art Ross Trophies, or at least one Art Ross Trophy. I think they each won one, but I could be wrong. They each won one, right? Um, and then Luongo, you know, Luongo, he's he's got a huge personality. And I, I really liked his speech. It wasn't as prepared as Daniel and Henrik's. He was emotional. But I, I, yes, yes. And he was kind of swaying back and forth. And, you know, he thanked his mom. He thanked a lot of the billet families he stayed with and coaches, Corey Schneider. He had glowing things to say about Corey Schneider and how, you know, the media and the fans kind of tried to build, you know, a bit of a goalie controversy between the two of them. And, you know, they did that little shtick with uh, TSN 
And Schneider, I believe, came out and played in the Hall of Fame game, I believe is what he had said. He left his AHL team to come play. He said that in a speech. And then he thanked, obviously, his wife and his kids and his family and just like the Sedins did. But, yeah, it was great. It was an incredible celebration. Pretty cool. Uh, it took 52 years for this franchise, but we finally have players going into the Hall who are undeniably going in as Canucks. I mean, we've had other guys that will be remembered for their time as a Canucks, but you know, like a Matt Sundin and a Mark Messier. I mean, most people I think would associate them with going into the hall as Canucks, but other fans may say, well, wait a sec. I don't know. Maybe not those guys. Uh, Pavel Bure. Um, Pavel Bure is one that probably will be most remembered for his time as a Canuck. Um, but another guy, if Alex McGillney ever gets in, because he's a guy who a lot of people are still talking about it for not being in the hall. I think he should be in the hall. He'll likely go in as a Buffalo Sabre, not a Canuck, in, in my opinion. Um, but Cam Neely. Yeah, Cam Neely. I mean, uh, I, I just tell show people his rookie card. I'm like, look, yeah, he's a Canuck. There you go. That's a... That's all. That's all. All it takes. There's a lot of these guys who've been on this team, but other people will claim that they shouldn't go in as as Canucks. Maybe we should get Dan's good with the Photoshop. We should get him to do like uh, like uh, 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 some sort of Photoshop picture of like Sundin and Messier and Neely and all these guys wearing uh, the like wearing their Canucks jerseys and uh, the the Canucks Hall of Fame class and make sure we tag all those cities fans and see if we could. Uh, just how much hate mail our, our podcast account could get. <laughs> I love it. Dan's the guy to do it for sure. Well, speaking of Dan, let's uh, let's hear what Dan's got to say this week. And here's a, uh, here's Dan Mackles with Dan's feelings. And you can find him on Twitter at Dan Mackles. My name's Dan and I have some feelings. Please say hello to Dan. Yo, give me something to Dan. Dan, 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 Dan. To Dan. Sitting down Yo, to hit record about five minutes after the Canucks held on for a 5-4 win over the Buffalo Sabres. Great. Wins are great. Wins are much more enjoyable than losses. But that particular win did nothing to instill any confidence in this core for me personally. I, uh, I, I really went into this season, you know, giving this group the benefit of the doubt. Um, I just felt that there was something there. And I, I know we're not even 20 games in, but after some of the absolute listless performances and the fire drills that take place in their own zone, the the laughable penalty kill, I just, I just think my faith has been shaken to the point where I don't know if if I believe they can do it. So, yeah, I've mentioned many times that I, I will never actively cheer for this team to lose, but I'm I'm at the point where I, I, I really would like to see a major overhaul in the roster or even a rebuild. Now, everyone talks about, well, a rebuild, it takes a lot of time and, and how much pain we'll have to go through. Man, I, I feel like uh, we've suffered through enough pain and this sort of in-between just hasn't worked. Perhaps just a big move, taking out a, a core piece of that group may be all they need, but I just don't feel it. I, I feel that a teardown is, is required. You need to build through the draft. And 
you know, we discussed last year, well, what do you do with JT Miller? You know, do we keep him? Do we move him? They, they kept him. And I think it, it looks as though there was an opportunity missed to, to cash that asset in uh, for building blocks for the future. Now we found ourselves in the same boat with Bo Horvat. I, I like Bo, but I hope that, uh, I hope that they don't sign another piece of this core that has done very little overall to a long-term deal. I don't know what you guys think. I mean, are you guys ready for a rebuild? Do you think we should just hold on to Hughes, Pedersen, and Demko, and then everything else is, is on the table? I don't know. I just, uh, I think it's time. Those are my feelings. What are yours? All right. Thanks, Dan. Uh, yeah, kind of a, a somber tone to that. Um, but that's kind of understandable, right? I mean, you look at the the game flight we just did. They went two, three, and one. And there's a five-game road trip in, in there as well. It's there's There's been a shift in the mood of this fan base. And you start to hear rebuild a lot. And even myself, I, I'm of the mentality that I'm not against a rebuild. Even at this point, I'm I'm not. The team has never done a full rebuild. We know that. There's always been, it feels like there's been a reluctance to, to do that. But I think this fan base is does have the patience for a rebuild if it's done properly and, and we can see the path and where we're going because we see other teams kind of whoop, whip right past us uh, who are on the same sort of path uh, and like the Colorado Avalanche is a great example of a team that just went and, and flew right by us or currently the LA Kings or, or another one the New Jersey Devils uh, the Buffalo Sabres the Canucks have never gone that route the fan base they mention it more to me though you know he mentions the core and he mentioned uh, in there like PD Hughes and Demko my problem is is if you're going to blow it up like you kind of have to go all in on a blow up. There've been too many times where they've squandered assets along the way, not being able to recoup enough things back and never really. And you look right now, the, the cupboards are bare. So if you were to start a rebuild right now, that takes three years, three to four years, that's your Demko's 30 to 31. Then does that, does that really help you? Like, um, is that part of the core? Like what, what I'm kind of suggesting is maybe you trade, absolutely everybody if you go that route what do you think yeah i i don't agree with trading everybody i i do think goalies often take longer to develop so even though dem demco would be close to 30 or pushing 30 in the next three years i think a lot of goalies we've seen don't really hit their stride until they get to their 30s and I think we're actually seeing this across the league. It's more so with defensemen and forward, or pardon me, defensemen and goalies of these players that get thrust into these positions and play top line minutes early on in their careers. And then all of a sudden, a year or two after they start to regress. I think Carter Hart's a guy who played big minutes really early on in his career and he was lighting it up. And then we saw the last few years he regressed. He's starting to come back and he's playing a lot better for Philly at the moment the team in front of them hasn't been good. I do think there needs to be some seismic changes to this group of players. They need, somebody needs to be traded. Um, it's, and it's not like, I know people are worried. You don't want to make a trade for the sake of making a trade, but I do wonder, cause you, I get the NHL. It's harder to make trades this day and age with a hard salary cap, but I, 
I do wonder, like this management group says they were trying to make deals and nothing just came to fruition. But there were rumors from a number of sources that reported there was a deal on the table from the New York Rangers at last year's trade deadline and the Canucks turned it down. And looking back, I think a lot of Canucks fans would have probably taken that deal in retrospect, right? Mm-hmm. At the time, most Canuck fans were saying, no, we want, um, uh, that's not the deal we want from the Rangers. We want this player and that player. Um, and allegedly those players weren't being included. Uh, so I, I almost wonder if this management group's stubbornness has kind of shot them in the foot where they try to hold out for higher value and then teams just went in different directions, filled up that bit of cap space they had available with other players and other trades. And it kind of left the Canucks, you know, holding the bag, so to speak. I would like, look, I think guys like Besser, I think, you know, a guy like Garland, I love Luke Shen. I think he is probably showing more leadership this year than pretty much anyone on the team. I think if you can get a second round pick for Luke Shen from the Toronto Maple Leafs, who just lost Jake Muzzin and are in desperate need of a defenseman, I think that's an absolute home run and you take it. I loved Kuzmenko. I think Kuzmenko's been great. I really do. And again, maybe there's a caveat where you can't trade him. I, I, I that wouldn't make sense though. Uh, but if you could trade Kuzmenko, you know, for a first pick, first round pick at some point, the guy makes the league minimum. He's the. I don't know any team that wouldn't want to give a first round pick for a guy who seems to have that offensive flair that Kuzmenko does. Uh, again, the winger is Besser. I, I, I think you got to trade maybe one of JT Miller or Bo Horvat. The problem is this team is so shallow at center ice position. I know everyone's talking about the defense, and yes, the defense is a major concern, but they also don't have any center iceman prospects coming up the ladder. And guys like Karamaki are really struggling right now in the Elsvenskin, which is a league below where his team played last year. And that his two um, line mates who he played with last year who were drafted after him are both playing far better than him. I believe Chris Faber, friend of the show, tweeted out that LeCarrie Mackey is now on the fourth line on his mm-hmm. team in Elspenskin, which to me is pretty concerning. A um, couple things. Uh, for me, another missed opportunity uh, that I don't think the Canucks could have pulled off the, uh, this trade seeing as what uh, Pittsburgh received for John Marino. But... Again, that shows that they didn't have the asset covered. Now, again, that's not necessarily on this current regime. That's the previous regime, but it's just a state of the franchise. You know, it was a third-round pick in Ty Smith, uh, who I believe was a first-round pick. I remember watching Ty Smith play junior uh, out here uh, in the WHL. I believe he was a first, a pretty high first. And the Canucks couldn't match that because they don't have those prospects and picks. Uh, Marino's having a great season with uh, the Devils and looks to be exactly like the kind of player the Canucks could have had. Because Manko, I don't think uh, I don't think you can get a first in this draft for him. I mean, it doesn't help that the Canucks healthy scratched him a couple games ago. Uh, that doesn't help the the cause. But I think you could get something. I mean, you mentioned Besser and Garland. I think those are the ones that make the most sense. And most people are clamoring about. You have two wingers who are combining for eleven plus million dollars in cap space who aren't doing a heck of a lot and i like look i like both those guys i i do but you know like Besser hasn't scored yet this year this is a guy we keep saying is is uh is a goal scorer we're recording this on uh, what is today november 16th he hasn't scored yet 
uh, November 16th. He's got nine assists in 11 games, but like his assist, he, he got one of his assists last night. It was kind of like a garbage assist, right? Like it wasn't a lot. He's not making a lot happen out there. Garland also has nine points, three of them goals in 16 games. Uh, look, I like the way Garland plays, but again, it, it, you're going to have to move some pieces here to, to make something happen. Um, Dan, Dan said, you know, a lack of confidence in the core. I think, I think that's pretty fair from a lot of Canucks fans though right now. And the fact that we're even having this conversation and we're not even at the quarter mark of the season. If you told me that the Canucks would be five, nine and three at this point in the season, if you told me that before the season started, I'd be like, no, 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 we're not talking about last season. We're, we're talking about this season. And because it feels like we've been down this road so many times. I mean, no, I am talking about this season. Not only are the Canucks five, nine and three, so they're actually 28th in the league right now. The problem is, is that all the teams around them have games in hand. St. Louis, who's one point behind them, three games in hand. Ottawa has two games in hand. They're two points back. Same with Columbus and Anaheim is two points back with one game in hand. Even the teams in front of them, Arizona, same amount of points, two games in hand. Um, it, it's it's not good. I, I don't think that they're going to be good enough to make the playoffs. So, so what do you do is, are those changes going to do anything? And what is the market for those guys? And does that become a trade for the sake uh, of making a trade? But I mean, to sum it all up, Dan said lack of confidence in, in this core. I, I think, I mean, I think you're going to be tough pressed to find a Canucks fan who doesn't agree with that right now. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. I, I think, I mean, look at last night's game against the Buffalo Sabres. We're recording this on Wednesday, so we released it tomorrow. It'll be two nights ago. But the last game against the Buffalo Sabres, they won 5-4. Did that feel like a win? Like, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, like it didn't. It didn't feel like a win. Like, it, yeah, we got the two points. But it, like, it, it, I was nervous the whole time. I was like, oh my was- God, here we go again clenching their butt cheeks man at one point yeah. i tweeted at one point in the like maybe at with five minutes left in the third the shots were 13 to four for buffalo that period yeah and this is every game this is happening and i think there's a lot of things at play here the other thing i wanted to talk to you pete is, about is the coaching um mm-hmm. i know you said that he benched kuzmenko but i think that's like i think we're looking at a coach who is trying to save his job there's clearly a dis- uh, disconnect between him and the management group he's not their guy um rutherford keeps saying things publicly throwing boudreau under the bus i mean do you not think that they should just fire him and that it's just i i really don't think this is fair to Boudreaux. And, you know, the other thing is like right now is Spencer Martin playing better than Thatcher Demko. Yes. Is the reason Boudreaux keeps throwing Spencer Martin out there over Thatcher Demko because he's playing better. Maybe, but I think it's because he probably thinks at this time he'll give him a better chance to win where a goalie often they do go through, you know, highs and lows in the season when the goalie isn't playing well, you kind of want to get them to play through it and get their confidence back by playing more games. And right now we're seeing, almost a 50-50 split of games here in the last, what, three weeks between Demko and Martin. And I think a lot of that is correlated to Boudreaux trying to save his job. Uh, so for me, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of got two uh, two kind of thoughts with, with Boudreaux and uh, Coach. I think, first of all, it really comes down to what what is an organization, what do you believe in this team? Like, uh, do you think that this is a team this season. What like what do you think with this season right now? Do you think this team is realistically good enough 
to do something this year and make the playoffs. Anything less. And and Rutherford and Alvin said this at the start of the year, and I think most fans would agree. Anything less than the playoffs this year would be a disappointment. The team has made moves to, on paper, seemingly improve. And if anything, we're we're well, we're at least back where we were uh, at this point uh, of last season. So for me, it's what exactly are you? Do you think this team is? If you think this team is a lot better than what it is, and your goal is to turn it around and make the playoffs, then I don't know what you're waiting for. Then you have to make a coaching change. But if you're kind of at the the point now where you're like. I don't know. We've kind of dug ourselves a hole. Maybe we blow this up a bit and, and kind of, you know, we got a deep draft. Like maybe we could start trading guys. They have some assets this year that if they don't sit on, they can actually trade and really help speed up uh, a retool rebuild on the fly. If you think that's the case, I don't really know what the point is of replacing the coach. Cause then you kind of, let's say you bring in Rick Tockett. And uh, and the team plays 500 hockey the rest of the way, or maybe just above 500. Uh, and then where does that land you? That lands you somewhere between like the seventh and twelfth pick overall, right? Like it it doesn't really make sense to me. You're better off either getting into the playoffs or being really bad with where the Canucks are right now. Like I mentioned, right now they're in a position where they are ranked as the fifth worst team in the league. So again, just outside of that shot of getting, uh, having a shot at the number one pick right now. But if teams win, if, if every team won their games in hand that they had on the Canucks, which is of course a big if, the Canucks would be dead last in the NHL. And so for me, I don't know, like if you really believe that there's more to this team and they can get you to the playoffs, sure. But I mean, this fan base is is screaming rebuild at the moment. And this 2023 draft, as we know, is one of those extremely deep drafts. We've all heard about it for a long time that the first two rounds are just loaded with good players. Uh, for me, it's, it's, uh, it's really just, what are you trying to do? Uh, and I, I think, I mean, you're, you're still paying off Travis green, I believe. And you're, if you'd be paying us Bruce Boudreaux and then you paying a third coach, like, I, I don't know. Um, for me, it, it's, uh, I just don't know if if it's really the right thing to do is to change a coach because all of a sudden then you could go, boom, hey, now we're 10th worst in the NHL. Well, who cares, right? Like, what's the point of that? Look, I agree. And on paper, I don't think this team is as bad as it as they're playing. They're just not. On paper, they shouldn't be this bad. Like, I predicted 105 points when we had Clayhon for this team. So I legitimately thought with the goaltending from Demko, Yes, the blue line has question marks, but the forward group should be able to produce at a clip. And give them credit. I think the Canucks are top 10 in scoring this year. I, I believe they've scored. They're in the top 10 of most goals scored for this year. I believe. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure they're in the top third of goals for this year. Yeah, they are. That's why I think I think they got to make a trade. Like they, they, There's just something not, there's something amiss in that dressing room. And obviously, look, last year we thought it was the coach. We thought it was green. They fired green. And then we saw the Boudreaux bump. And the team seemingly were a lot looser, were having more fun playing the game. And I think they were enjoying coming to the rink every day, where green, I think, was a bit of a taskmaster. And now it seems like it's the opposite, that we're wanting to go back to that kind of hard knocks, 
tactician coach, which yes, I, I do think this team does need to play better defensive structure at times. I don't think that is solely on Boudreaux. They do have a coach who is um, meant to coach the defense and set up defensive structures. So it's, it, it's the coaching group as a whole, but I, I just don't think it's fair for Boudreaux to have to go in front of the media every other game after Rutherford makes another comment about Boudreaux's lack of structure in his coaching style um, and saying how the players aren't being held accountable and that, well, that lies at the feet of the coach. I just don't, don't think that's fair for to continuously say that media and not actually pull the trigger and fire the coach. Like, I, look, you can say that maybe the defensive structures aren't there under Boudreaux and they need to make a change for that, but there just seems to be something awry in that dressing room. And I know it's a, such a cliche to say, but they just, for whatever reason, there just seems to be a disconnect. There's no way this team on paper is as bad as they've played. Are they a Stanley Cup contender? No. But are they a playoff team? Yes, I think for sure on paper, they're a playoff team. They're not getting the goaltending. And for whatever reason, they just don't have confidence in the third period. And they're, they're giving up leads and they're getting out played and outshot by a two to one margin most nights. So going as well to the goalies, um, here are the stats lines currently for the, for those folks that, that don't know for the two goalies. So Spencer Martin amazingly has a four one and one record. He has an eight ninety eight save percentage and a three forty nine goals against in 1988. That would be a pretty good stat line. Thatcher Demko, 11 games, one eight and two record. 874 save percentage and a 4.02 goals against even in 1988, that would be not very good. What's interesting is they've never pulled a goalie yet uh, this year as well. They've let the goalies ride out each of their starts um, 11 for Demko six for Ma for Martin. But as you mentioned, it's more 50, 50, the last little while. Um, and, and I, I, I Rutherford's maybe frustrated. Maybe he's trying to light a fire under his coach. Again, this is a coach he inherited. We always know how that goes. GMs and or and presidents like to bring in their own coaches. So I don't think anyone's expecting Boudreaux to be behind the bench uh, in October of next year when the season starts. Um, but it gives it more of a lame duck feel. And I, I feel like that also kind of permeates a little bit into the culture of this team. It's like, well, the coach isn't going to be back. Uh, so they don't believe in him. And I, I don't know. I just like, it, it'd be a weird feeling, right? Like it'd be a weird feeling just kind of playing for a coach, but knowing that he's more than likely not going to be there next season. And there's a very good chance. He's not going to finish this season as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think, look, I, I, I don't think Rutherford and Elvin walked into an easy situation. No, like, I don't. And, this was never going to be an easy fix. And I think fans also need to realize that, that this isn't going to be fixed overnight or in one off season. Do I think that they sh still should have made bigger swings in this past off season and made more significant changes this past off season? Yes, I do. I, I do think that they should have done that, but unfortunately they didn't. Um, and we are where we are. And part of that is because of salary cap restraints in the league. When you have a hard cap like the NHL does, it's a lot harder to make trades than it was 15, 20 years ago. Um, there's a lot of rumors about a guy like Eric Carlson, who seemingly had a renaissance this year. And what was thought to be an unmovable contract in the league now looks like, you know, there's still four years left, I believe, at like $11.5 million. That is a contract that could get moved. I saw a report today, Pete. I don't know if you saw this, 
The Canucks are looking to move OEL. I, I'm, I'm surprised they could even get him. But one of the holdups, besides his contract, is he's not willing to waive his no-weight trade clause. Yeah. Um, and so that is something that you have to deal with. You have a player who is playing very poorly this year in comparison to last year, has a contract for, what, the next seven years, I think it is. And even if you wanted to move him, he has the final say and you can't move him. If he doesn't want to go anywhere, guess what? He's not going anywhere. And so it, it is a very hard thing. It's easy for us armchair GMs to sit here and to be like, oh, well, I would trade Kuzmenko for a first and I would trade Shen for a second. And, you know, th- these are my trade offers. So I'm yeah. calling myself a- out here. Um, but it's a lot harder to do in the real world. And, y- you know, even... There were rumors that the Carolina Hurricanes were asking for Nils Hoglander and Ethan Bear trade. It ended up being a fifth round pick. So I don't know where those rumors came from. Uh, those right are just now, yeah, internet I, rumors. Of course, of course. Doug rumors, I guess. E- Eklund uh, rumors. Eklund E5. rumors. There you go. E5. There you go. There's a callback. <laughs> um, but at this point, uh, yeah, I, I don't see how there's an easy fix outside of trying to trade some of these guys that have some value and collecting draft picks or young prospects. And like Dan said, building from the draft and, you know, betting on some young unproven prospects that still have high upside. Yeah. Uh, Eric Carlson, four more years, uh, 11 and a half and OEL four more years. Canucks cap hit is 7.26. It's not even just uh, a no trade. It's a no move. So you can't even send him to Abbotsford as a threat, right? Uh, I mean, it, it would only save you like a million bucks uh, out of that anyways, if you did, but uh, you can't even do that. Like he, he's on the club. So I don't know. Uh, that's going to be uh, a tough one to move. I think the only way, and I've said this for a long time, the only way, the only effective way for a team like the Canucks who, uh, you know, I don't want to say rebuild yet because we haven't shown any signs of that, but if they are rebuilding, you have to buy out OEL. That's the only way to do it. You got to buy out. And, and this is an idea that, uh, that I had. Um, let me just pull up uh, something here. Because w- one thing that I've thought, and it's kind of an interesting way of softening the blow, but I, I want to get your, your opinion on this. So if the Canucks were to buy out OEL after this season, there's a cap hit against the Canucks for the next eight years. So I think that goes up to, what is it, like 29-30. Now, most of the years uh, that cap hit, the final four years of that would are a $2.1 million cap hit. So again, not cheap. There's two years in the middle where it's 4.7. That's years three and four. And year two is 2.3. Now, to soften the cap hit, the thing that I'm suggesting, the first year of it. So if you were to buy them out after this year, the cap hit next year is only $146,000. So you have freed up about $7 million there. What if you were to use that to take back other bad contracts on short expiring deals, uh, deals that expire within the next year or two, take back a few of those along with assets and use that cap space that you freed up for OEL to help it towards a rebuild and help soften the blow. Now it changes if you do it after next season, you don't have that first year to do it. Uh, the year after that, if you're doing it, it's a six years that you, that you have uh, a, a hit on the books for OEL and it ranges from 2 million to 1.8 million with a couple of years of 4.4 in there. So there isn't quite that flexibility to do that. But what do you think about the, this idea? Is that a completely absurd thing to suggest? 
I don't think so. I mean, look, a six-year cap hit of dead money, it, that is really going to hurt this club, obviously. Well, it would but be look at teams- it would be seven years essentially because the first, well, because on the eight-year buyout, the first year is not much, but then it's seven years after that. Okay, seven years even, yeah, that 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 hurts a lot, right? That really, really does. But I mean, you're looking at teams that have already done something like this, like Minnesota with Parise and Suter. Um, those dead cap hits on that club are, I think, for the next five or six years. Um, I do think if you can think far enough into the future and think about, okay, yes, we're going to be having a one to $2 million cap hit, you know, dead money essentially on our cap for the next seven years, but you get out of that contract, you're able to now potentially give a guy like Jack Rathbone more ice time and get him to develop better. Right. This could also give you that much needed cap space to be able to take advantage of teams that are cap strapped and are needing to make a move. Like one guy who, I'm looking right now. He plays center ice and he was away for, for a song and a dance and have like my kid, Mikheyev's game. And I thought Mikheyev's played well, but who would you rather have right now on the Canucks? Would you rather have Mikheyev or Oliver Bjorkstrand? Bjorkstrand is a center iceman who the Canucks desperately need. And the Columbus Blue Jackets gave away for a song and a dance because they had signed Goudreau. And it seems like part of agreeing to Goudreau signing with them was Gabranson's contract. So they had to yeah. sign Goodranson and Goudreau and trade a guy like Oliver Bjorkstrand, who is playing extremely well for Seattle at the moment. I know he hasn't scored too many goals this year, but he's just under a point of game player. He's a great two-way player, and he's exactly the third-line center that this Canuck team could really use right now. But again, they decided to go in a different direction with Mikheyev. But if they had the cap space available to absorb a contract like Bjorkstrand, then that is a huge win for them. And if, again, the OEL deal, I do think you're probably going to look at them having to buy him out at some point, especially if he continues to play as poorly as he's played. But with the salary cap going up and seemingly going up by a significant margin in the next three to four years here, I don't think a $1 to $2 million dead cap hit of a contract for OEL for the next six to seven years is going to be that hard to swallow, personally. Yeah, so year one, if it was a buyout after this, like I said, it's only 146,000. Then it's 2.3, 4.7, 4.7, and then 2.1 for four years after that. So year three and four, uh, when the cap should be going up, those are the biggest hits. But if you plan for that accordingly, it, it softens the blow. Yeah, Minnesota, 12.7 million on the books this year for Parise Suter. That goes up to 14.7 for the next two years before it drops off significantly for the next three years after that. And then it's really not noticeable at all. But uh, that, that was, a, that was a, a bold move by them. Oliver Bjorkstrand, I've always liked the player. Um, he has a 28 goal man last year with Columbus. Uh, he's, he's a good player. But again, you, you, you're right. If they don't have the cap space to take on players like that and do things, I mean, that's one of the, the myriads of, of problems that the, this team has. Um, one of the things as well that Dan mentioned uh, way back uh, at the start there, um, and we haven't talked about really, is, is, but it certainly pertains to all this, is Bo Horvat, JT Miller. Um, look, JT Miller is signed. I know people want to trade him. Remember, JT Miller has a no trade clause that kicks in when he signs his new, when he, his new deal starts. He's already signed his new deal. Um, so if you were to want to trade him, uh, you got a kind of a small window to do it before that kicks in. But that's also a really weird message that you're sending uh, if you're 
trading a guy that you just signed to a seven-year deal before that deal even kicks in doesn't look good on the organization. So I think fans need to get used to the fact that JT Miller is going to be here for after this season, probably the next four seasons as well. And hey, look, JT Miller, uh, he's besides his uh, gaffes in his own end that uh, I know we've complained about a lot. Uh, he does put up points, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that ages. I mean, I don't think you can trade him. I think that's kind of mute. 16 points in 17 games. He's got 10 goals. Um, so I think Canucks fans just need to accept that uh, that's that's a tougher one to get out of. And it just looks really bad if you trade a guy that you just signed to a seven-year deal before that deal even kicks in. First four years, like I said, no trade clause. Um, Bo Horvat, though. I mean, look, I love Bo. But we've talked about shaking up uh, this core. The thing with Bo is if the Canucks are anywhere near this position that they're in come January, February, if you haven't re-signed him, if it's not close and it's not your intent to re-sign him, you have to trade him. This is the kind of guy who a playoff team would love. I mean, we've seen what he can do in the playoffs. He's exactly what teams would want for the playoffs, and there should be a bidding war on him. I don't want to trade Bo. However, we we've all we've said us and Dan as well. There's something wrong with this core. This core isn't working. It's not doing what we thought it should be. Bo Horvat would be that finally that piece that you trade off for a return. Look, we didn't do that with Miller. Whether that Rangers deal was true, I know the one you're talking about. It was it was Cheadle, Lindgren, and a first uh, was the rumored return for that. But again, that could just be internet rumors. Everyone on Twitter was yelling for Braden Schneider in, in the deal and, and, and uh, Kako and, you know, all these other things. So never, never materialized anyway. So it doesn't matter. But for me, I mean, if you, I don't really know if you can resign Bo right now. I, I just don't know if it makes sense. The fact that they didn't even meet, meet with his agent when they were in Toronto, I think that's kind of telling. So to me, if you're already starting to lean that way, then other things kind of come into place. Like, look, okay, we're not keeping Bo. Then that means we're probably not going to be in the playoffs. That means what's the point of changing coaches? And that means we got to sell off whatever other assets we can to kind of speed up this rebuild. Um, I think, again, I think a lot of Canucks fans are kind of looking at this. It's like, look, this season feels like it's a bit lost. Luke Shen, though, he's a UFA at the end of, end of this year. I love Luke Shen. He's played his ass off. Uh, yeah, if you can trade him, uh, do it. Um, Kuzmenko, if you're allowed to trade him, I'm still not 100% sure how that works with that deal. But if you are, yeah, you trade him. Um, there, there's lots of things. Uh, I mean, we mentioned Garland and Besser. Yeah, you do what you can. Uh, you start just saying, all right, let's blow this up. Let's create some cap space. Let's get in some young assets. And then it's a question of who are you building this team around? And I'm sure most people say PD Hughes and Demko. It's like, sure, well, let's see what they can do. But if in a year or two, we're not in a much better spot, I'm going to be crawling into there saying, hey, I mean, maybe you trade a couple of those guys. Although I will say, Petey has been just fantastic, I think, this year. The problem is he's, he's uh, still an RFA after next season, so the Canucks are going to have to dish out for some money for him. But for me, the way he's playing, like, man, I would I would uh, have no problems with them keeping him. He uh, he's It's crazy. He's been their best defensive player, and he's been probably their best offensive player as well. Yeah, I mean, I think Bo is probably with the goal totals. Most people would say he's been their best offensive player. But I think outside of trading Hughes and Petey, 
what player has the most trade value right now today? Yeah, it's Bo Horvat. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that he doesn't have an ex- a contract beyond this year, he's the guy. Whether that was the right move or not between him and Miller, he's the guy that right now it makes more sense to a trade a player like Bo than it does to trade a. JT Miller. Obviously, you would prefer to move a JT Miller in that big contract, but I don't think that's really likely at this time. And I agree with you, Pete. I think you could probably get a haul for him. Um, there's a lot of playoff teams. I even think there's other teams that may not be playoff teams. I've heard of teams like the Detroit Red Wings have shown interest in Bo Horvat because their young centerman, Dylan Larkin, is UFA at, at the end of this year. And there's a lot of talk about whether or not they're going to resign Larkin at the end of this year. So I, I think Horvat's one of those young players that could actually you, you would actually have teams outside of now. Obviously, the issue is being UFA, there's the risk of him signing that extension if he's traded to a Detroit. I, I could see him signing an extension in Detroit. It is close to Toronto, so he'd be close to his family. But yeah, right now I think he's your biggest trade chip to dangle out there to other teams. Because you're right, they do need to start restocking the cupboard. I mean, I mentioned Jonathan Lekaramaki. He's not playing well. Uh, Danila Klimovic has been a healthy game scratch multiple times again this year. Um, there just really isn't anything in the cupboard at the moment. Even Jack Rathbone, who I still believe in, I still think he's a good young player. He struggled at times this year. So this club, I mean, the other guy we haven't mentioned this year who struggled, and again, you know, to no fault of his own, I, I just think, you know, it's just the way the team's playing. Vasily Colson has really struggled this year as well in his sophomore season. So I, I, they just need to have more young players and, you know, more, more prospects in the cupboard and more draft picks at their disposal to be able to use, whether you trade the draft picks for other good young players or you actually make the picks because that's something that, I feel like going back to the Mike Gillis era, trading second round draft picks is just kind of like par for the course. It's always saw been Benning do it. Always know, been with I this know. team. Rutherford did it obviously to get out of the Jason Dickinson contract. Um, we saw Benning do it a number of times. Obviously, Gillis did it all the time. It's like, why don't we just stockpile picks? Instead of trading picks, why aren't we acquiring more picks? And I'm sorry, they don't count a second, fifth round, sixth round, or seventh <laughs> round pick as acquiring more picks. I just don't. It's just, I, I don't know. couple of uh, sleeper trade candidates if you were to trade uh, Bo Horvat, in my opinion. Um, I think the Buffalo Sabres and the Ottawa Senators could both be interested. And the team that I just think he would be a great fit on, although I don't know how they'd make it work just at the moment. Uh, the Boston Bruins, I could see Bo Horvat landing in, in Boston and, uh, they would just love him there. Although I'm not quite sure how much that would work, but both Buffalo and Ottawa, interesting teams. Uh, and they got some room to wiggle with and uh, make it work if they wanted to. But for me, those are, uh, those are a couple of my sleepers that could get in on, on Bo. I think. I think Montreal is another team that I think are young enough and, I think they need more centers. Like obviously they have Nick Suzuki, but I think Bo going there and playing, you know, the second line center behind a Nick Suzuki uh, would be great. I, I know they added Kirby doc as well, but I don't know if doc is an everyday second line center in the NHL right now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely think Montreal would be another team that would be interested in Bo Horvat services if he was available. Yeah. I mean, 
that's a that's a good call too. Uh, interesting. All teams out out in the the east that we're we're speculating on. Um, it, it's it's tough right now, man. Like, I mean, um, this fan base is obviously uh, the confidence has been shaken, and again, and, you know, from an outside perspective, uh, a lot of people could still look at this team and say who aren't fans of this team. And I've heard people say things like, you know. They're they're not up to a great start, but there's good young pieces there, and you you know they got you got some guys scoring goals like Bo Horvat is second in the league in goals, which is incredible. And we were all here talking about trading him, which is also kind of incredible when you really think about it. But they you know they got Petey, they got uh, Hughes, a good puck moving defenseman. Um, people are like, oh, you know, these aren't that bad. It's not that. What what I think has gotten to this fan base right now and to all of us is that it's been like this for quite a while. And this year it felt like we we're promised it's better. You know, almost a year ago, new management, new coach all came in uh, and we are like, okay, it's, uh, this is going to be the year we turn it around. The off season moves were made aggressively with the intent of improving this team. But here we are again, and the only kind of moves we've seen, we've seen a lot of little uh, tinkering here and there. I'll, I'll say shout-out to Ethan Bear. I thought he had a really good game uh, last game against Buffalo. And also shout-out to Will Lockwood. I thought he had a really good game. So, you know, we've been talking about the prospects and uh, and a lack of, but uh, Will Lockwood, to me, looks uh, NHL-ready. Um, but this year, we were, we were promised all this and told that it's playoffs or bust, and we're, we're just kind of back to where we are we were. And, uh, you know, I tweeted a few days ago, like people were going on about how is this the worst stretch or the worst era of, of Canucks? And it certainly is not. I know I've said this before about uh, the, the 80s and when I became a fan, but I tweeted the other day, I went at the season I became a fan, the Canucks uh, 84, 85 season, they lost 10 of their first 11. And there were some bad ones in there, like 11, nothing, nine, one, seven, nothing, like just, just getting their butts kicked uh, in. So this is a really bad era. I think what is tough this year though is just that uh this feels like the final letdown you know i think you know there's been a lot of fans who always and like me i'm i'm a glass half full but it's it's very clear this just isn't working so it, it would be kind of insane to just come back to the drawing boards like oh well we're not we're not we're gonna re-sign horvat we got pd we got miller we got hughes so we got besser so like we demco we've got the blocks there and we just need to build around it and i think most canucks fans are like no that's that's not it anymore. They, we, we haven't seen that big trade from this team. We've seen a lot of tinkering moves. You, you know, you bring in guys like Riley Stillman and Ethan bear and Jason Stadnika and there's all these tinkering moves. And it kind of reminds me of like, like playing fantasy football, you know, it's like, you've got that like sixth receiver that you just every week you're flipping him because they're like, Oh, this guy could be the home run. And this guy could be the home run. And you just kind of keep flipping it. But it doesn't really help your team because that sixth receiver is never making it into your roster and it doesn't actually have any effect on it. And that's kind of what I feel like. I mean, it's not quite obviously the players that Canucks have do have an effect on it, but that's kind of more what it feels like. It's like uh, if you want to make a real significant move, you got to change uh, the pieces above that in the pecking order. Yeah. And look, I get it. It is a lot harder to make moves, right? In today's NHL than it was back then. Um, I, I think the difference why some people feel like this is the worst era in Canucks history in comparison to like what you brought up with that eighties team. I think the expectations are higher and the expectations of the team back in the eighties were nowhere near what they are with the team today. 
And so I think that's where there's a little bit of a disconnect. And obviously you throw in social media into that, right? Where everybody's a scouting expert, everybody's an armchair GM um, and people's voices are a lot louder than they would have been back then. But yeah, it's, it just, it's tough. And you would think that some of the comments that were made last year, I mean, there's a comment, I believe it was Nick Caprios had said that Rutherford had said to him that it was a country club in Vancouver, that all the, it was a bit of a country club mentality there. Um, and the fact that they still didn't make any significant changes this off season after making comments like that and noticing that last year to me are somewhat concerning that they misread the room, I guess you could say the management group. And I still think it's too early to turn on them and to start. I know a lot of people slowly, but surely are starting to like bring up the bending similarities between Rutherford and Alvin. You know, it's like, Oh, you know, Studnika, that's the Jason Magna of the Benning era. You know what I mean? Ethan bear. That's the whoever insert random defenseman, you know, there kind of thing. And it's just like, I don't think that's fair. I don't think this team or this management group has really had the chance to really put their stamp on this group yet. Um, and until they do, uh, I'm, I can be a little bit disappointed and maybe question some of the lack of progress they've made being pretty much a year on the job, but I'm not ready or willing to completely call them out and say they're a complete failure at this point. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not either. Um, but it has been a bit of a, a frustrating, slow process. It felt like Mikheyev obviously was a bit of a, uh, putting a stamp, but again, you know, he's a, a second or third line winger for the, for the most part. Um, and not uh not a, a, the the big significant move that needs to be made. Um, Doug, should we take this into the free pour? Let's do it. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment, and I just wanted to talk about San Francisco. I'm in San Francisco. I finally got a chance to walk around the city yesterday. Uh, the people here have been really nice. Um, beautiful city, uh, lots of hills. Obviously, anyone who's been to San Francisco or used to watch Full House, um, you can see the iconic hills in San Francisco. Um, but the other thing that's really amazing is just the food. There's so many great diners, some incredible seafood places in San Francisco, really great hole-in-the-wall spots that do a cheap breakfast or a really, really nice sandwich. And yeah, I mean, I've been to San Francisco once before. Uh, this is my second time here. And yeah, I love it. And if you get a chance, obviously check out San Francisco, man. When we're uh, done recording here, Doug, remind me to give you a couple of food hole-in-the-wall recommendations in San Fran. I got a, I got a couple of a really good ones. Uh, for me, uh, I just wanted to mention... The World Cup is starting in like four days. I, I'm. It, it just feels so weird, probably because it's November and Christmas lights are out in my neighborhood and the World Cup is starting and it's in Qatar. The game's being on at weird hours. Well, hey, we're used to that. They're always on at weird hours. But it starts in four days and Canada is in it. Like, it, it just seems really quite surreal. And I know Wednesday morning, uh, I'm, I'm arranging my work day. I'm kind of doing like a, a split shift so I could watch uh, the first Canada game. That's going to be kind of surreal, I think, too, is watching uh, 
watching Canada play on the world stage against Belgium um, and knowing that the whole world is watching uh, at that moment. Um, I'm excited. I've always loved the World Cup. I love the Euro Cup. Uh, I think these tournaments are just incredible. Uh, there's always dark horses I get behind because Canada's not in it. But hey, this year, Canada's in it. Um, I, I'm, I'm just super stoked for it. I cannot wait. And then, of course, 2026, we get it here. So uh, let's go, Canada. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Um, I can't wait. Thank you. One more, fellas. One more like that, and I'm through. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 127, Season 4, Episode 8, for real this time. It's just about in the books. Uh, thanks to Dan Mackles for contributing this week. Um, a couple other things before we go here in the sports world, Doug, that I just wanted to mention. We talked about Felix a bit on the last episode. He beat Nadal two days ago, man. That's uh, that's incredible. I believe he's up to number five ranked in the world now. The guy just keeps winning. Yeah, congratulations to Felix. That's a huge feather in his cap. Uh, I think men's Canadian tennis and women's Canadian tennis is definitely on the upswing. Um, Nadal is nowhere near the player he was five, ten years ago. But again, to beat a legend like Nadal, to be ranked fifth in the world, I, I believe that's the highest male, highest ranked male Canadian tes tennis player there's ever been. And yeah, huge congratulations to Felix. And I hope his star continues to rise. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then the Blue Jays today making a trade. Kind of uh, kind of a bit of surprising. Teoscar Hernandez getting dealt to just below us here in Vancouver, down to Seattle, for a couple pitchers. And they look, I, I don't know a lot about Eric Swanson and Adam Mako, um, but I think it's pretty obvious the Jays needed to address pitching and hitting was an area of strength. So. I, I could see why they made this, but uh, again, I don't quite know. Um, but it's funny, I've seen a lot of people who uh, I don't like to trade. And it's like, Jays shouldn't have traded him. They need, they need to have some more pitchers and they're going to get there. It's like, well, you know, they need pitchers. Now you got some pitchers. And yeah, it cost you a player, but um, uh, still. I, anyways, good luck to, to Oscar down in Seattle. I always liked him uh, as a Blue Jay. Yeah, I don't know much about the pitchers. I know one's a lefty, one's a righty. Um, two bullpen pitchers, but like you said, the Blue Jays need more arms. This frees up, I believe, a little bit of cap space for the Blue Jays as well, heading into the free agency. So it's not going to happen, but I've seen some people be like, oh, Aaron Judge to the Blue Jays. It's confirmed, which again, I, I can't see that being a thing. But it makes sense, you know, add a couple of arms to the rotation into your bullpen. Uh, that was a weakness for this club last year. Yeah, Judge, Judge will end up back with the Yankees. I think that's, uh, I think most people uh, assume that. Um, folks, follow us online. I'm at Pete underscore gas on Twitter. Do check out our playlist as well on Spotify that we talk a lot about. All our outro tracks go on there as well as this one. And that is the Canucks EDC outro playlist. Just search for that on Spotify. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.